everyone. Tonight I'll be reading from Revelations chapters 21 verses 1 to 7 and you can find that on page 1252 of your Bibles. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning of And the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Well, it's a joy and privilege to be able to share God's word from you tonight. I've never preached on crates before. So hopefully I can stay on them and uh, we'll see how we go. If you've got your Bibles, you'll want to keep them open there. And I'm going to ask God that he would speak to us through his word. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who speaks. And I pray now as we engage with your word that we would leave leave this place not just being smarter sinners, but transformed people who live for your delight and glory. Because we ask this according to the will and the reputation of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the good joys and challenges of being a parent is that I get to have conversations with my children uh, every week. And these conversations can be quite far-ranging. It can be everything from, tell me, Dad, about dinosaurs and did they exist? And if so, what happened to them? To, at the other extreme, have you heard Taylor Swift's latest song about some guy she's broken up with? Okay, and so the, the, the range of topics can be quite broad. Sometimes we just chat about random things in life. Other times it's a little bit more meaningful. So we will talk about issues of lying and honesty. Sometimes we'll talk about relationships and, and uh, bullying and forgiveness uh, and those sorts of things. But recently I had a question asked from my son that kind of threw me off a little bit. I should have seen it coming. My son's 10 years old. And he asked me that significant question that every dad expects to answer at one point or the other. Dad, is professional wrestling real? (laughs) So I asked him about his view and I asked him about his appointment. I've said, of course it is, son. Why would you ask such a question? Then we talked about the movie Nacho Libre. Now, the reality is, of course, questions about wrestling or about movie or even Taylor Swift or dinosaurs, as helpful as that might be and engaging as that might be for my children, 
There are some questions in life that are fairly light, and yet there are other questions that we come to and ask in life that are very difficult and very heavy. And one of the questions that I would like us to think about tonight is the question of death, and particularly life after death, and what the Bible teaches, even more specifically, about heaven. You see, I am in a position where, uh, having served as a pastor, where it can be very hard to walk through life with people going through difficult times. And often when somebody's going through a difficult time, it is often not the best place for them to cognitively work through the big questions of life. So, for example, when I've been alongside friends and they've, they've perhaps buried a loved one or they're sitting by the bedside of somebody going through a difficult time with cancer... The questions of life, the questions of afterlife and the questions of heaven, uh, it's hard to answer those because people are often in an emotional blur. So ambitiously, what I'd like us to do tonight is to consider this issue of heaven. The, The Bible speaks about heaven in multiple places, but we're just going to look at this issue of what is heaven, why should we even want to go there and how do you get there? So to answer that, these questions, we're going to explore just these few verses. We're not going to uh, go in great depth because of time, but I'd like us to survey what's going on here in Revelation chapter 21, particularly in verses 1 to 7. And here we're going to discover what the Bible says about heaven, how good it is, and how we can get there. But the first thing I observe in the passage that was read for us, if you look at verse 1 with me, He says, and this is John writing about a revelation that he's received about Jesus Christ. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. The first thing I observe in this passage is that heaven is something that you and I are indeed longing for. Heaven is something that you and I are indeed longing for. You'll see the language used here in the passage of new heaven and a new earth and an old heaven and an old earth passing away. You see, even you don't have to be a a theologian or a great Bible scholar to realize that our world currently as it stands is not as it should be. Okay, the world as we live now is not as it should be. A child should not die of poverty in our world. The world is broken. Okay, when there are relationships, when people will sometimes physically injure each other or kill each other, the world is not as it should be. When people, as we just prayed, in Sri Lanka and other parts of the world undergo terrible catastrophes in their life, the world is not as it should be. But rather than shying away from that, the Bible presents a reality, yes, that our world is broken. And rather than enjoying the fullness of creation, we live in a world that is wrecked. But the good news of this passage is that there's something new. A new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. You'll notice it is new. It's not that Jesus comes along and says, I'm going to give you, you know, do a reno and just sort of fix things up a little bit. We need new. We have brokenness. When I see my friends with chronic fatigue that struggle to get out of bed, I say, I want new. When I have friends who have their bodies ravaged by cancer and they fade away, I say, I want new. 
When I see people with learning difficulties, children dying of starvation, the world at war, I say, I want you. And here's the good news. John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Why? For the first heaven had passed away. You'll notice he has a little quirky statement there at the end. There was no longer any sea. Now, I know we're only a stone's throw from the sea here, so that's a bit rough. Okay, I like the sea. Now, I didn't tell, I told Peter maybe earlier on, but I'm a Novocastrian by birth. Okay, that, that's just fancy pants way of saying I'm from Newcastle. All right, but it sounds much better. I'm a Novocastrian, it makes me sound royal. Here's the thing, I love the water, grew up on the water. What's this business about no sea? Well, in the ancient world, the sea was a place of great mystery. The sea was often connected, particularly in religions outside of the Bible, as a place where all the gods did their wrestling and all the gods fought under the oceans. But we, of course, know that that's just all hocus-pocus. You read the book of Genesis and it says God created the heavens, the earth, and he created the sea and everything in it. But here he's using this image that there's no longer any sea. The picture of the sea was one of chaos and it was a place of fear. And here's the good news. The new heaven, there is no fear. There is no sea. It's all changed. Everything that's broken, everything that's wrong is gone. You see, this is what you and I are actually longing for. Now, you might be here tonight and you say, look, I'm not not a Christian. I'm not so sure about this whole Jesus thing. And maybe you're here and you're just investigating. I would like to say to you, everything that you're longing for in a good relationship, in a world where there is justice, in a world where people love each other, is what God intends and God will bring to pass when he brings that new heaven and the new earth. That yearning is correct. But, you know, not only is heaven different than our broken world, we also get a picture of how stunning it is. Look at verse 2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, or down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, often when the Bible talks about heaven and the new creation, it will use all sorts of images. And so, for example, it will liken the kingdom of God or heaven to a banquet. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of a banquet. I'm part Scottish. I, I hear banquet, I think of free food. Okay, it's free. But here's the thing, the image, when Jesus talks about a banquet, that's designed to evoke within you certain feelings of joy and anticipation of the things that are yet to come. The kingdom of God is like a banquet. Okay, I love going to uh, weddings. As we'll see here, it's likened to a beautiful bride. But one of the great things about weddings, you go to a wedding and often uh, as a minister, I remember doing a few weddings over this side of the bridge. And after it was all done, we went up to, I think it's Jonah's or uh, up the the, the north here. And you know what? I did half an hour work marrying a couple. I got a free feed. I get to dance with my wife. Okay, and for me, a banquet represents joy. The kingdom of God is likened to a garden or paradise. Now, I don't have green thumbs, but I love beauty. And Jesus will use language like that. He will say it's like a city where you don't have any gates. Why? Because there's no fear. You put gates up because you want to keep the baddies out and the good guys in. New creation, none of that. But here, the image he uses is of a bride coming down beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, as I said, I got married... Uh, 15, almost 15 years ago at St. Clement's Mossman, not too uh, far from here. We had our wedding reception at the Taronga Centre and it was like the world stood still. It was a beautiful day, all right? It was a fantastic 
day and uh, my bride, I remember one of the nice things about St. Clement's in Mossman, uh, we didn't go to that church, it was just so happened uh, we needed a place, that was a good place, it was over near our reception centre and the nice thing about this particular church, it apparently one of the longest aisles of all churches in Sydney which was great, except the flower girl was only four years old and she'd take one step at a time. took my wife 25 minutes to get down the aisle. But I tell you what, my jaw dropped. And there's one of the things about you go to a wedding, people don't look at the bloke, right? They look at how nervous he is, but every eye turns and ah. Okay, and the women are all, all talking and the blokes are wondering, did he put any product in his hair? Okay, but it's, it's all focused on, on the bride's. And here's the picture, it's this image that this new heaven coming out, it's got the wow factor, it's a, it should leave us breathless. And this is the thing, he uses an image, why does he use an image? He's not giving us language here of literally a bride, he uses language designed to evoke within us feelings of wonder, this is stunning. But more than just being stunning, Heaven is what we're longing for because also we notice in verse 3 that it is the place where God lives with his people. Look again. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be their God. You see, you and I have been created to have a good relationship with God. And yet the reality is that often when I pray, God feels very distant. Often when I read the Bible, words don't jump off the page. And though every now and then I, 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 I sense this beautiful relationship with God, God still feels very different. And you know what? The good news for me is this is not it. There will come a day when God will once again dwell with intimacy with his people. You remember back in the Garden of Eden, if you go back to Genesis, in the cool of the evening, God walked among his people. That's a great image. In the cool of the evening, God was with his people. There was intimacy there. I yearn for that. I long for that. Because like I say, there are times when I feel that I'm close to God and there's this relational component, but so often my heart just wanders away and I get easily distracted with everything else. But I yearn for that good relationship with God. The beauty is that relationship, which is now possible through Christ in fullness, will be experienced as God lives among his people. That is what you've been created for. That is what I have been created for. That is what you are yearning for, whether you know it tonight or not. You've been created to have a good relationship with God. And that is the good news of this new creation, this new heaven, new earth. Once again, God lives again with his people. And there's no distance now. But also it's a place we're longing for because you'll see it's free of heartbreak He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the order of old things has passed away. Uh, Recently, I was talking with my children. We're having a bit of a discussion. And my daughter said to me, Dad, Adam told me that you were crying last night. And it was true. We've had some friends that we've walked through who've gone through a very tough journey losing a child. It's been very hard. And there's been many tears shed uh, with our friends. There's been many tears shed uh, with my wife and I. And to be honest, there are times when we got to a point with our friends when we were crying and just tears, no more tears would come. And as we stood 
even recently with our friends and they lowered their child into the ground. I said, the world is not as it should be. Ten years ago, believe it or not, I had hair. That was before my six months of chemotherapy, a transplant and radiation. You see, ten years ago, I was diagnosed with natural killer cell lymphoma, type of T-cell lymphoma. I was hit with aggressive chemotherapy. A couple of times there, my life was a little bit touch and go. I spent um, what seemed like forever in hospital. But I remember in hospital, I was at a very good hospital here in Sydney, and you, you would have a little bit of privacy and a curtain between you. Okay, that was it. And I remember one night, uh, a gentleman passed away in the middle of the night, and I was once again confronted that one day it'll be me being lowered into the ground. It'll be you being lowered into the ground. And people will be shedding tears. But I want to tell you today, that's not what God created us for. He didn't create us for death. He created us. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And yet at the moment, you live in a world of tears. It can be tears over a child passing away. It can be tears over a broken relationship. It can be tears over injustice that has suffered, that you have suffered or somebody close to you has suffered. It can be tears as you look around the world where there is death, fighting, poverty, starvation, and inequality. But the good news of this passage is that there will come a day when God himself will wipe away the tears. He will provide in fullness the comfort. And guess what? There will be no more death. How good is that? No more death. No more getting old. No more pain. Okay? No more knee replacements. No more people struggling to get out of bed. No more people walking around with dark depression over them all day, every day. Friends, this is why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a prayer that's born out of this idea. We want that which is a reality now to be true and a reality in our coming our day now, in our current experience. Friends, heaven is what we're longing for. If you think it's just 60, 50, 60, 70 years, grab it and that's all you get, you're, you're chasing after the wind. If life is just about the season you have now and you just grab what you can, you're going to have plenty of tears and it's not going to end well. Why? Because you've not been created just for 50, 60, 70 years. God has created you to have life, not death after 60 years, but life with him for all of eternity. Now you say, well, Malcolm, that heaven, okay, it might sound a little bit better than the, you know, sitting there with harps and, you know, angels and eating cream cheese and these other funny notions that people have. That sounds all right, but how do we know this is true? Well, the good news is not only is heaven what we're yearning for, secondly, I observe in this text that heaven is assured. Okay, the reality of heaven is not based upon my fuzzy feelings. It's not based upon, you know, whether I've had a nice warm Milo and I've got a warm feeling in my tummy. Okay, I want to base the reality of life after death on something more solid, and that's exactly what I do. Look at verse 5. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. 
You know why I have confidence in the the future life? It's not because we are going to get our good heads together and manage to come up with something great. It's because Jesus says, I am making everything new. My trust is in what Jesus is doing, not in what I'm doing or what we're collectively doing. The good news is that heaven in this new creation is the result of what Jesus does. In fact, his authority is the basis of it. Look at verse 6. He said, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus is the one in charge. Jesus is the one who brings in this new kingdom. It's his job. Okay, and again, this is not based on pie in the sky, kind of warm, fuzzy feelings. Now, you could talk to me. I've got all sorts of desires and wishes. Okay, I tell people every year, you know, my desire this year, I I really know what's coming this year. The Bulldog's going to win the premiership. Okay, and it's been a few years I've been saying that with not much success. But here's the reality. If you ask me, it might be well-intentioned. It, it might be from born from really good motives. But the reality is I don't have any authority to say who's going to win it or who's not going to win it. But Jesus has, says here, this new coming kingdom, this new heaven, this new earth comes and it comes because he says, I am the beginning and the end. I am the alpha and the omega. I am the one in control. And the last time I read of Jesus making promises, guess what? He kept them. Even though nobody believed him, he would say, I'm going up to Jerusalem. They're going to spit on me, crucify me, kill me. Three days later, I'll come back from the dead. And what did he do? Exactly what he said. And so when he says, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away, I'm going to come back, take you to be with myself. Guess what? I'm saying, yes, Jesus, I believe it. You said it, that's good enough for me. So friends, when you think about heaven... Know that heaven is assured, but you'll notice it's based on Jesus' authority. And as we'll see, it's based on having a relationship with God. Too many of my friends, well-meaning friends even, on on Facebook will post things when, when there's loss. They don't know what to do with death. Most of us, if we don't have God directing us on this, we're helpless. And so somebody dies and all of a sudden these people who I've known all my life to be irreligious... All of a sudden say, now this person's gone to be a better place. Where'd you get that from? What authority are you basing this on? Okay, that person's gone and now they're watching us. Who says that? What do you base your truth on? Friends, I'm not going to base my truth on my emotions or what I'd like to happen. I want to base my, my, my certainty and assurance on what Jesus says. Heaven is what I'm longing for. But the good news for me is heaven is assured, not based on my testimony, but based on the promises of Jesus. But thirdly, heaven, will notice, is a gift. Look again at verse 6. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. You'll notice heaven is for the thirsty and it is free of cost. Now, here's the reality. You can live, apparently, I I watch Bear Grylls every now and then, and I sort of think, man, I wish I could do what that guy's doing, except I don't like getting dirty and cold. Okay, but I watch Bear Grylls, and and you you see something going along like that, and you just think, that's great. He just overcomes and just does whatever he wants. But I remember when watching one of these shows, he explained, you know, you can go, you can eat, he eats everything, snakes, lizards, you know, sticks, and, and you'd eat all these things. And here's the reality, though. You can go a week or two weeks maybe without food, but you can't go very long without water. Okay? Your body starts to shut down if it's not hydrated with water. And Jesus realized this and said, in using a spiritual metaphor, he says, if you're thirsty, I've got just what you're looking for. Come to me 
and I will give you water to drink. And not only that, he says, without cost. And this is a beautiful image when he says it's without cost. And even this language is probably going back to an old part of the Bible in Isaiah. But the invitation is given. Hey, come, if you're hungry, if you're thirsty, come to me and I will give you what you're longing for. Everything that you're looking to find in life, that you're yearning for, that you're thirsty for, it is found in me. And so Jesus, we have this yearning for something better and Jesus makes this very bold claim that if you come to him, you'll find the source of life that you're looking for. And guess what? It's free. Now we're going to see it's costly. It costs Jesus everything. But for us, it's free. You can't pay enough. You can't do enough. It's all a gift. Heaven is a wonderful gift that is offered to you free of charge. Now, here's the the problem with that. God offers us a gift, but often what happens is he says, here, come to me and drink. And we look at what he's got to offer and then we say, well, actually, no, I'm going to find satisfaction somewhere else. It's like when I was... I've got a bit of a habit, a bit of a creature of habit. And one of the things, my problems is I'm a bit of a man with a sweet tooth. It's so every night about nine o'clock, I almost in robotic fashion, I get up out of my seat, I walk over to the kitchen and I open up the fridge and I look inside just by habit, nine o'clock every day. And what I, I open up the fridge and I've got three kids and I look in and the kids have eaten everything. Okay, and I look around and there's empty things in there, but but there's nothing in there to eat. And I close the fridge, I'm disconsolate, I go sit back down, moping. My wife gives me some affirmation, you'll be okay, you know, hang on in there. (laughs) Ten minutes later, what do I do? I get back up, I head back to the kitchen, I head back to the fridge, praying manna from heaven has made its way. I open it up and there's nothing there. And I end up going to the cupboard and eating those foam cracker things that <laughs> zero GI, zero taste, zero value in life. But here's the thing, we all have hungers. And the problem is, God offers us, thir- if you're thirsty, come to me, I will give it all to you. If you're hungry, come, and come to me and you will find life. And yet what we do, we go looking for the crackers. We go everywhere else bar Jesus. But what does God say here? It's a wonderful gift. Heaven, it's assured. Okay, it's what you're longing for, but it's also a gift. You need to receive that gift. You don't get to heaven by earning it, by doing your very best, trying your hardest. You get there because of God's generosity. But also, verse 7, you'll notice that heaven is only for those who accept the invitation. Heaven is only for those who accept the invitation. Now, why is this significant? Look at verse 7. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Sometimes we have this hazy sort of notion. Again, it's not biblical, but in common culture, we have this hazy notion that everybody gets in. Okay, that you die. It doesn't matter if you've been a rat bag. You die. You've gone to be to a better place. Okay, and again, I'm not sure where we get these feel-good notions, but certainly not in the Bible. The Bible here speaks of those who are victorious. Now, the victorious to whom John is writing here, he's writing in a day when the Roman Empire uh, was in full force. The emperor who, by the way, if you study historically, was a real uh, terrible, terrible man. And he writes here to these Christians and he says, look, might not feel like it at the moment, but if you're connected with Jesus, you will be victorious. 
You will overcome. And here he paints this picture of these children inheriting. Now we know from verse 27, if we were to go through uh, further down in the passage, listen to what it says in verse 27. Nothing impure, talking about heaven, will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those who names, whose names rather are written in the Lamb's book of life. You get to heaven as a free gift when you are connected with Jesus and find your identity and victory in him. And the subsequent result, result is your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. Now you notice, even there, your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You don't write your own name. And this is the problem with our whole nature. We do anything, we feel like we have to earn it. But the reality is heaven is not presented that way. Your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. It's somebody else who does the writing. This is all an act of God's grace. But heaven is limited. It's limited to those who have embraced Jesus, who have found their victory in him, who have identified and had their thirsts quenched by him. Again, in verse 17 of chapter 21, let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes take the free gift of life. Here's the thing. God is not going to force himself upon you and say, you have to accept my gift. You have to accept my invitation to the banquet. But he does offer an invitation. And if you will accept it, then he will welcome you in and your name will be written. As I mentioned, I have a privilege uh, periodically of performing weddings. It's one of the... Uh, the, the best things uh, that I enjoy in, in my particular line of uh, ministry. And here's one of the things that I know about a wedding. When you have a wedding, they have traditionally uh, something goes on here in the church, you know, and the, the man, you try and keep him upright. You know, they, they say the vows to each other. They sign a registry. It's all uh, good and legal. And then afterwards, you go out for a wedding reception. And that's usually a lot of fun. You go out there and like I say, you have a dance, there's a, a nice meal, enjoy together. But here's one of the things about weddings. If you're going to a wedding and you get an invite, you don't just not show up to the wedding on the wedding day and just say, look, I'm not going to bother coming. I'm not even going to tell you if I'm going to come. But then you just rock up to the reception, okay, and just say, hey, I'm here. No, you are SVP. You've got to say, yes, I'm coming or no, I'm not. And if you don't respond, usually the, the assumption is, no, you're not coming. Friends, can I say to you tonight that everyone in this room has been given an invitation to God's kingdom? Everyone. Each of you will say yes or no, and if you say, I'm not even going to respond, then it's a no. But here's the reality. God offers you himself. If you're hungry, come to him. If you're longing for something, it's found in him. Your, your, your future in heaven is assured because of what Jesus has done. All you need to do is trust in what he has done. When he died on the cross, he sent his son Jesus. Jesus died on the cross, came back to life just as he said. And now he promises new life in that future kingdom to anyone who will receive the gifts. Now, how do you do that? Well, I did it when I was 15 years old. I was the black sheep in our family. I had three siblings, Debbie, Deidre, Dallas, Malcolm. Okay, it was like I was destined for this, right? But here's the thing, my parents couldn't make me take the gift. My siblings couldn't make me take the gift. And I remember one day, I, my sister knocked on the door, she said, Malcolm, come to church with us. I was about 15 years old. And I said, no, I'm not going to church, full of hypocrites. I came up with all the other traditional excuses to make myself feel better. Okay, no, I'm not going to do it for this reason, that reason. 
It's like Malcolm. That's not good enough. And anyway, she, she, she said a, a, quoted a Bible verse and she, she walked out and I sat up in bed. I was so angry. How could she tell me whether I can, you know, go to heaven or not go to heaven because of what Jesus said? Anyway, I felt a bit guilty. So I thought maybe I should go and do some good things every now and then. Start going along to Bible study. I was that kid, I'm sure, that most youth group leaders think, oh, I hope he doesn't come. All right? But that was me. Okay? So if you're a youth group leader, keep going. All right? But here's the thing. I remember going to youth group and I just tried to go to make a bit of trouble and then out of my eye, a young lady was there. And I thought maybe I should come to Bible study more regularly. And I remember talking to this young girl and she said, oh, Malcolm, are you coming to that Christian camp coming up? And I thought, I am not going to no Geekarama Christian camp. And she said, yeah, it's two weeks' time. I'm going. And I said, oh, yeah, that camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I went along to that camp, hoping to win the heart of a, a young lady. It didn't happen. But I went along to this camp, and the guy got up, and he basically said something very simple. You've been created to long for more. You've been created to have a good relationship with God. But because of your own offences and your own rebellion, your own heart, you've distanced yourself from God and that comes with a punishment. But here's the good news. Though the wages or the outcome of sin is death, the good gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Jesus came and lived the perfect life, died for your sins, paid the penalty that you should have paid, but he covered it. So now that it's free and he's been raised back to life, Anyone who will trust in his provision and what he has done on that last day will be welcomed into heaven. And the preacher got up there and he just explained that and said, here's the gift. Will you take it? And as I sat there, it was like I was the only person in the room. And I thought to myself, my dad can't take my gift for me. My sister can't take my gift. Brother can't. Mum can't. Youth group leaders can't. I need to embrace and take this gift myself. So I prayed a very simple prayer. God, I need the gift. I trust what Jesus has done for me, that he paid the penalty, that he came back to life, and that getting into heaven is not a result of me doing good stuff. It's a result of what you have done. And you know what? When I came to him and accepted that gift, to use the other image here, my thirst for the very first time in life was quenched. Since then, it's not been an easy Christian experience. We've gone through some dark valleys with health. We've gone through some hard things. But you know, for me, I've got a yearning for a day that will come and it will come when the sons of God and the daughters of God will be revealed, when Christ will return and we stand before that judgment throne and I can look there and I can know that I'm accepted. Why? Not because of my good works, not because of things I've done or not done, but because of what Jesus has done. Friends, if you are not excited and don't have a yearning for that which is yet to come, you might want to check your engine. You know, we've been created to design and to live for so much more than we currently experience. Friends, that yearning is built inside you, but that yearning will come. And that's why we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But if you're here today and you've never placed your trust in Jesus, you're going to be thirsty and spiritually hungry for the rest of your days. But here's the good news. Heaven is offered to you tonight. You just need to pray and trust in what he has done 
and that gift can be yours. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus, who said, let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Thank you, Lord, that in this room there are many of us who have done that. We have accepted that gift by simply acknowledging that we've done the wrong thing, that our world is wrecked. And Lord, as we long for that heaven, we yearn for that heaven, where there's no more death, there's no more crying, no more heartbreak, the the heaven that is to come that is stunning, that is assured, that is a wonderful gift. I pray for anyone here tonight who doesn't yet know that that feeling, who's not had their thirst quenched, Lord, that they might trust in you. And for the rest of us, as we anticipate and long for that great day, until that great day when that new heaven and the new earth come and the old heaven and the old earth and the sea pass away, help us to be faithful, recognising that our victory is in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen.